We're going to turn to Romans 12. I'm going to read the scripture to you. Before I do that, I'm going to tell you what I do every morning. I get up and I say, Lord, do you really want me to get up? Well, first I snooze and then I get up and then I make a pot of coffee and I thank the Lord for the coffee. And then I have a little spot in the house where I go and I light a candle and I say, Jesus, the light of the world. And then I kneel and I say, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Then I open my eyes and I say, Lord, show me wondrous things in your word. Let's light a candle in our heart and pray a prayer that the Lord would show us wonderful things in his word. Lord, show us wondrous things in your word. Amen. Romans 12, 9 through 21. There's still time to memorize this puppy. This is God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with familial affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty... Give them something to drink, for by doing you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been talking about Romans 12. We've been in this passage for a while now. And we've been saying that Paul is trying to take this group of Jew and Gentile believers uh, that were broken and divided and to bind them together again in love. And this passage is really about describing what genuine love is like. It begins by saying love is genuine and then comes these 13 or so descriptions of love. And we've been saying it's like... uh, to linger on each one of these descriptions is to, to take a diamond and to turn it over and to say, 
What does it mean that love honors? What does it mean that love isn't lazy? What does it mean that love endures suffering and hopes always? We've been looking at each one of these phrases, and today we come to love shares stuff. <laughs> love shares stuff. It's right there in verse 13, put a little more eloquently. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute, that means to give stuff. (laughs) The word there is koinoneo, and it just means to share or to give. Uh, The root of that word is where we get the word for Christian fellowship, what it means to be in fellowship or in partnership with one another, Um, that we become partners and we share life together, all of life, all that we have and all that we experience, our money, our burdens, our hardships, we enter into a kind of partnership with one another. The scriptures say that we're meant to belong to one another. And that if one member suffers, we all suffer. And so to share, to coin a nail with one another is to share in people's sufferings or to share resources with people. And while I think it's clear that Paul wants us to share tears, he'll go on to say that. And joys and, and sorrows in all of life, our sadnesses, our pain. Here he's talking about sharing our stuff. And we know that because he says contribute or share because of the needs. And the word needs there is commonly used of someone's material needs. The needs for a bill to be paid. The needs for a wheelchair to be pushed. The needs for a meal to be brought a car to be jumped, contribute to the needs. And we see that he's got a very special set of people in mind. Contribute to the needs of the who? The saints. We just got done talking about saints a couple of weeks ago. And saints are not super holy people. They are you and they are me. They are the folks that go to church and who go to church with you. It's not that God doesn't want us to give to folks on the outside of the church. It's clear that he does. There's just a special relationship, a special kind of sharing or partnership, a kind of fidelity and commitment and responsibility we're to feel with our fellow believers. I think God's heart is captured so clearly in Galatians 6.10. We'll see if they can get it up there. There it is. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. I think that captures God's heart so well. 
and to do good in the New Testament or to do good works. It's really interesting to look at those phrases. It almost always means to give money. And to read the New Testament, and every time it says good works, to read give money, it's a different document. But it's interesting to look at it through those lenses. And so if you put it all together, we have a command that's fairly easy to understand. Share your stuff with the people you go to church with when they have needs. Maybe that doesn't sound earth-shattering to you. My guess is that we're all on board, that we all think that that's something that we should do from time to time. But I would also guess that if we really dug deep, we would consider that somewhat secondary or tertiary to our life together, that that isn't a central aspect of our discipleship or our love. Pretty good thing to do, but in terms of spiritual practice or discipline, if we had to list it out, what does it mean to practice the Christian life? I think for most of us that fall further down on the list. And I just want to say that I think Jesus would see things differently. Consider the life and ministry of our Lord. Think about how central to his mission and ministry was meeting the needs of the people around him. Think of the crowds pressing in, the mind haunted, broken, hungry, sick, needy ones, crying for mercy, which was just help in their needs. And think about how Jesus would meet their needs. All those miracle stories that we know. And not just the miraculous healings. Um, There are a number of New Testament texts that refer to the disciples having a money bag. A bag of alms. It's actually what Judas was in charge of in terms of the 12 disciples. And when you think about that, it's interesting because the point is that uh, there's these extraordinary ways that Jesus meets needs, but it seems that the most common way that he would relieve the suffering of people around him was he would give them money. His disciples would give money. Is that how you imagine the 12 going down the road and people crying out for mercy and And them stopping and doing what we could do on any given day to relieve the suffering of the world. And it wasn't just Jesus' example or ministry. It was, of course, his teaching. Jesus taught a lot about money. I was trying to find which text to share with you. And I think Matthew 6, 19 through 21 is representative here. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. How do you do that? 
the parallel passage in Luke 12 is helpful. Look at what it says first. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That is how you provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that interesting? We could spend a lot of time considering the different teachings of Jesus, or this or that story that he told, but I think this is pretty representative of what he was calling his disciples to in terms of their material possessions. And the early church caught on. And they began to apply what they had learned from their Savior, assuming that their possessions were not meant for their use alone, but they were God's. And were meant to be used to joyfully meet others' needs. And so you get the description of how the early church looked in the early chapters of Acts. It's pretty amazing. So this is Acts 2, 44. This is a description of the first believers after the Holy Spirit came down. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at the result. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then just a chapter later, it says that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Like that's how Romans 12, 13, our text was lived out in the beginning. And that radical generosity, it wasn't like a passing fad, but it was something that continued to be embodied in these different faith communities as different churches were planted. And these, and all these followers of Christ tried to live this thing out in their particular context. And so you have Paul going around and planting churches and teaching them to live this way. So in Titus chapter 3, he says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And think about what good works means. So as to help cases of urgent need. Same word as in our text. And not to be unfruitful. And then to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 9, he says, Each one must give as they have decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every, what's the word? Good work. That's the money giving stuff. And look at what it says next. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. 
And then there's this little verse in Ephesians. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share. Same word in our text, with anyone in need. So interesting, the whole orientation of the Christian is not to work to have, but to work to give. That's different than how we think of it. We want to work to have. Christians work to give. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to allow me to give more and more to the needs around me. Perhaps there is no passage that speaks more succinctly about this than 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Okay, just let that settle. That sounds like something we should know, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How do we do that? If anyone has material possessions and sees their brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love in word or tongue, but with action and truth. It's a big deal in the New Testament. Why? Why so much emphasis on this? And I just want to spend the rest of the time giving you six biblical reasons and motivations for sharing your stuff with other people believers. You ready? Number one, because God wants to use you to relieve suffering. God doesn't want people to be in need. If you are a person who has need right now, God doesn't want you to be in need. And he's put his spirit in the heart of two billion people on this planet. And gave them this command so that however many needs could be met around planet earth. And when we relieve stress, when we give hope, when we lift a burden, it makes God glad. Because one day he's going to wipe away all tears from all faces and relieve all suffering. We are the fullness of Christ, the church, here on earth. His body, and we're to be about the things he cares about. So first, we relieve a need, and that's an amazing thing. Second, when you live like this, the world takes notice. Uh, This was always part of God's plan, that people would look into the way that his people treat one another and see something of his heart. It was there in the Old Testament. God gave Moses all these commands instructing Israel how to care for one another, especially the poor. 
It's there in the Sabbath, which guaranteed a day of rest for slaves. Um, The Sabbath year, which canceled debts. Like there was a year that came around where you would just cancel everybody's debt. Um, You were allowed to glean from the fields of people who had fields. You had to leave margin on the edge of your fields for the poor. Um, The Jubilee year emphasized liberty. Other laws about debt, tithing, gleaning ensured that the poor and needy would always be cared for. And the the laws were so extensive, and Israel never lived them out, but the ultimate goal was to alleviate need among God's people. And so in Deuteronomy 15.4, it just says, there should be no poor among you, God declared. Now, they never achieved that, and we haven't either. But that's God's heart. Um, God's people were supposed to point forward to the coming king. Israel was supposed to be a sneak preview of the coming attraction. The kingdom of God and the person of Jesus Christ. And, And just like a sneak preview, Israel was to give viewers an idea of what the main event would be like so that people would look and say, wow, these people are different. I can't wait to meet their king. And in the New Testament, the church is not a sneak preview of King Jesus, but it is actually his body. Like the the fullness of what that reality is supposed to be. When people look at the church, they're supposed to see an embodiment of Christ's love. And so Jesus just says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. People are supposed to look at us and our good works, how we're meeting one another's needs, and what's supposed to rise from that is glory to God and thanksgiving. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.12. It says, the ministry of this service, and this is in the context of people who have been given money, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, So you've done something, and that work is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. That God has given us our money and our homes, not just so that we would be grateful, but that by our generosity and hospitality and care for one another, that many people would thank God and give him glory. So why do we contribute to the needs of the saints? If you're keeping score, because needs are met, and that's good. Two, because God is glorified, that's real good. Three, because it brings church communities closer together. Uh, Just remember that Paul is writing to a, a church divided, and he's saying, meet one another's needs as they come up. And it's interesting when you look at um, some of the teaching in the New Testament, what meeting a need in someone does to their heart. 
And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is describing the outcome in the heart of those who have been given money as a gift. And it says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, because of your faithfulness, they're going to approve of this and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And look at this, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace that is upon you. They had their need met and they began to long and pray for their benefactors. We see very similar kind of language in the book of Philippians, which is just a thank you letter that Paul is writing to his financial contributors. And think about how he talks about them at the beginning of that letter. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. That's koinoneo. That's the same kind of word of sharing or giving in our text. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense in confirmation of the gospel. And then look at what he says to his contributors. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There is nothing like meeting a practical need that binds hearts together. What a balm to heal a broken heart, to have your need meant when you really need it. He was in jail. So meeting needs relieves suffering, it brings glory to God, it creates affection in the hearts of people, and next, out of, it confirms the love of God in us. And so 1 John 3.17, if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother or sister in need and yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? Or to put it more positively, in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, when we give generously and care for one another, the love of God is confirmed in our lives. We are real. We can know we're not phony Christians. That's great. So contributing to the needs of the saints, it meets needs, relieves suffering, brings glory to God, brings divided communities together, confirms God's love in us, and finally, we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, whatever that means. This is from 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous 
and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And I love this line, man, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Take hold of that which is truly life. I love that. Not only are needs supplied, not only is God glorified, not only are relationships forged, not only is the gospel advanced, but you and I are changed. God does a work in our hearts as we learn to give our life away in order to find it. We find that we discover what life's about, which is not about accumulating stuff. It's not about building bigger barns. It's not about consuming more and more of the things that we already have too much of and that never made us happy in the first place. When we give, we put a knife into the heart of lesser treasures and of greed and selfishness and we move towards a new heart, the joy of being free from the bondage of self. And greed. It is a glad experience to know the blessing of giving. And it's saying, be free. Take hold of the life that is truly life. Six amazing reasons to contribute to the needs of the saints. Let's just close with this thought. How do you do that? How do you move towards that? I think the key verse is in Romans 12. Uh, The very first verse says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. The mercies of God, which were bought by the blood of Jesus, and which are new and fresh for us each morning, with divine generosity. This is how we become generous. By reflecting on what God has done for us in Christ and by treasuring it above all things. I think about that wonderful verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. He shared in everything that you have. He put flesh on for you. And now shares with you divine, heavenly riches that you never deserved. Now you are rich in forgiveness, friends. Rich in love. Rich in community. Rich in hope. Rich in mercy. Rich in the Spirit's power. Rich in the promises of the gospel, which are rich in and of themselves. I think about Romans 8, which says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us what? All things. Philippians 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to make all grace 
abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in good work. (laughs) Because God promises to be all our all-sufficient treasure which will never let us down, we can be generous. It is in richly treasuring Christ that we begin to change. So what does this mean for you? Who knows? If you're a person in need, God loves you. Maybe a person has come to your mind in this community who has a need that you can meet. Meet it in Christ. What I've asked the Lord for is just the eyes to see that everything I have is a gift from his and it is not my own. It is to be used for his glory and I find my greatest joy in doing that. When I give sacrificially and radically to the kingdom, especially to the people that God loves so dearly, I lose nothing. But I grab hold of the life that is truly life. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Can I pray for us? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this text and for your love. We are rich in you. Um, You have given us all spiritual blessings in Christ and I just pray by your mercy, Lord, that you would lead us to be a more generous people with one another. That means being able to see needs, to be close enough to one another in partnership and fellowship to really know what's going on in one another's life. And I pray that we would be so motivated to do this that folks would be able to look inside and like little small groups and inside of our church and say, man, I wonder what their God is like. And that they would worship you and abound in thanksgiving. Thank you for not leaving us in a place where we just have to pursue our own good above all, but thank you for always reminding us where true life is found in serving and loving others. And thank you most of all for your mercy and love for us in the person of Jesus. I thank you and I praise you this day. In Christ's name, amen.